All right. Good afternoon, Metro Praise International. How's everybody doing this afternoon? I said, how's everybody doing this afternoon? Yes, yes. Awesome, awesome, guys. Uh, it's good to see you guys this hot, sweltering Sunday. <laughs> it's good to see you guys come here and worship with us. Um, oh, excuse me. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. If this is your first time joining us today, thank you very much for joining us. You guys are loved. And uh, yes, let's have church today. Amen. All right. I see you already, already standing. All right. Before we begin, I would like to call up my brother, Joby, Joseph Bonilla, to come up and share a powerful, powerful testimony of what God has done in his life lately. So give it up for Joby. Hello. Uh, hi. Um, I'm going to testify about um, this one time I was a little nervous last month. I was doing a play uh, for my youth group, and it was where I was, like, you know, portraying what happened to Jesus on the cross and everything. And uh, it was it was a little uh, it was a little hard for me because it's like I get a little nervous before people, and then uh, when I'm doing skits and everything. And uh, also the cross was very heavy; it was hot and stuff. So I was like complaining unnecessarily and stuff, giving uh, Carol a hard time, and. Uh, there was really no joy. I wasn't really finding much joy in it. And uh, the awesome thing was, though, when I actually was praying, I was like, man, God, I'm going to give it to you and everything. And I went out there to do it. And I saw, like, you know, all these people. And I had the cross. It, uh, right away, it reminded me of this one verse. Uh, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of, uh, of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And right there, I was reminded that I should be in joy, you know, that that was not a burden. It was fun, you know, people were touched. A lot of things happened. It was glorious, you know, and um, it, was, it was just beautiful because it was exactly what Jesus did. And when Jesus saw the cross, you know, he was getting whipped, he was getting hit, and he did it with joy because he had every one of us on our minds. And that's just something that we can all take to our lives, you know, when we have something that's kind of uh, uncomfortable for us, that we can do it in joy and excellence unto the Lord. So um, I'm just going to pray, and I uh, hope you guys receive. Lord God, I just uh, thank you for the service, God. I pray that, uh, Lord, you just uh, bless us, Lord, with worship. God, bless us with the word. And I pray, Jesus, that uh, people would find joy in just the most mundane things, the most uncomfortable things, Lord, whether it be suffering or anything, Jesus. I pray that you have your way. Amen.
just the drums and voices. Now I have. Now I have a purpose. Now I have a destiny. You made me for your glory. You made me for your glory. Now I have a. Now I have a purpose. Sing out. It's free and deep, and there ain't no change that can hinder me. Hallelujah. Hey! Hallelujah. Oh, the sun. The sun sets free. It's free and deep, and there ain't no change that can hinder me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, the sun. Oh, the sun sets free. It's free and deep, and there ain't Shout a praise this afternoon.
and shake before him the demons run and flee at the mention of your name king of majesty there is no power in hell or any who can
Let's sing the mountain shake. Every voice. A mountain shake before me. The demons run and flee. At the mention of your name, King of majesty, there is no power in sing you are worthy
hallelujah, because we want to thank you, God, for all that you do and all that you've done, God. We say hallelujah because you are worthy. We say hallelujah because you are holy. We say hallelujah because you are risen. We don't worship a dead God. We worship an alive God. A dead God does not have the power to save. A dead God doesn't have the power to forgive. A dead God doesn't have power to do anything. But because you are risen, you have the power to do all things. And everything was created for you because everything was created by you. I just want to sing, he is worthy because he is worthy today. You are worthy, God, of all our praise. Yes, Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy. Let's do that again. Tell him how worthy he is. You you are powerful God that you Holy Spirit live within every believer and your word it slices through marrow and sinews God it is sharper than any double-edged sword and we know that when we open the word and we get into the word that you speak to us and you cut through the junk you cut through the sin Lord and that we are to be different like you are different the word holy needs means to be set apart the angels they fly around the throne of God and they say holy 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 they say you are different 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 from anything so know that when you are exclaiming his holiness you are saying you are different you are set apart you are not of this world you are above it all God and only a holy God can do it so Lord we just lift up our praise to you today we thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for what you've done and what you continue to do. Because worthy is the one who sits on the throne. He was and he is and he is yet to come, God, and we cling to you today. And we just thank you, God. We give you this time, and we just want to praise you. We thank you. Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said amen and amen. Hallelujah. How many of you know he's worthy today? Hallelujah, Jesus. I want to take a moment to preach the gospel to you because I know there are many here that are saved and that there may be some of you that are not saved today and it would be a tragedy to let you walk out of this church and not know how to be right with the living God and so I want to open this scripture to you it's Matthew 7 13 and 14 and it says enter through the narrow gate 
For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. How wide is the road to hell? It is wide and it is vast and we are watching our neighbors and our friends and our families and our communities walk straight towards that wide gate. And it says, you know, you can come. Everyone's accepted. You know, you don't have to do any special thing. You, you are all accepted. However you live, it's okay. But this narrow gate that Jesus opened with his death, burial, and resurrection. And he says, if you go through this gate, you will have eternal life. This gate is so thin that only a few find it. And that is why we proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is why Jesus sent his disciples to go. He didn't say go and sit. He said, go. It's only by Jesus that we are saved. And it says that if anyone believes in him, in their heart, and confesses with their lips that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. That is how you get saved today. We are going to have a couple of prayer workers here. Umberto and Kirsten will be up here during our fellowship time. If you want to get right with Jesus, if you've been backslidden, if you have been far from God and you want to come back, you want to make your life right, narrow is the gate. It's only by Jesus. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Jesus already earned it. He paid for it. He paid for it in his blood, and he paid it in full, and he said, it is done. But wide is the gate that says, YOLO. You only live once. Just I'll just do whatever I want to do. And so many of us have gone down that road, and guess what? It's, it's left us barren, broken, and ashamed, and shame will keep you so far from the presence of God. So I say, lay that shame aside. Lay your pride aside. Come through the narrow gate and have life everlasting. I just want to pray for us. So if you guys would all just bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, we know that you are the way, the only way we can be saved and go to heaven and spend eternity with you. And you are so good. You are such a gentleman that you teach men how to be gentle men. God, and that, that you would not force us into your presence. You don't force us to love you, but you say, here I am, and I love you. And so I want to love you. Will you let me? So Jesus, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, God, that today they would repent of their sins, they would believe in their heart, and they would confess with their lips that you are Lord, and then they would make you the Lord of their life and get plugged into you that today would be the day of salvation for them. Father God, we love you so much, and we just pray this all in your mighty name. And all God's people said amen. Amen and amen. Again, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And we are going to recite this confession of faith. This is our Christian worldview. We do this every week because we believe it. And if you believe it, you'll proclaim it. Amen. On the count of three, we're going to say this. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Greet your neighbor. Say hello. Praise the Lord.
All right. Who's excited to be at church today? Welcome 1 p.m. service to Metro Praise International. Thank you for joining us today. On behalf of all the pastors and leaders, we're so thankful that you came. Especially if it's your first time here, we want you to keep on coming back. And for all of you to keep inviting your friends, families, neighbors, so we could keep reaching Chicago for Jesus. Amen. Our services here at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. We have King's Kids in the back available for infants to 11 years old. So if you have children in that age group, please feel free to drop them off in the back. We have the best children's workers available. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. every week for students 11 to 18 years old. This is our youth group. God's doing awesome things. So if you know any teenagers, bring them on by. This is a place for them to be on Friday nights. We want to let you guys know about an outreach that we have coming up. West Side Back to School Outreach, Saturday, August 6th at 9 p.m. That's in a couple of weeks. We want to let the whole church know that you can join us for this awesome outreach meeting here on that day at 9 o'clock in the morning. We're going to be giving away free food, music, activities. We're going to be raffling some laptops. We're going to be giving away school supplies for about 100 students. So we would like all hands on deck being excited to go into that neighborhood and bless them with the love and generosity of Jesus. So if you are interested in that, please meet us here at that time. God's going to do awesome things, so we would love to have you with us. Here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people. How many of you guys love that vision? Come on, two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And our strategy is to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism, to keep on preaching the gospel to the lost so that all can hear, so that all may know about the good news of Jesus. And then we want to, and then our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Do you guys get excited about hearing that every week? Because it's not going to stop going to hear it over and over and over again until we see it come to pass. So let's check out our, um, our life groups. Look to your neighbors. Say it's time to get connected. If you turn your hand, oh, that was weak. Thank you, Jerry. Look to your neighbors. Say it's time to get connected. Thank you. Look, you could turn your hand out around. You'll see the quarter of life group schedules that we have coming up for July, August, and September. Kicking it off for this week, we have today our marriage life group. How many married folk do I have? Come on. Child care will be provided, meeting here at the church at 5 p.m. So if you have children, feel free to drop them off in the back. If you're married, we're going to enjoy, enjoy an awesome time of having a picnic today outdoors. So you don't want to miss that. Tuesday, we have our encounter prayer night. Super excited about that one. It's one of our new life groups. All ages are welcome to attend 7 p.m. here at the church. Awesome time of prayer and worship. Wednesday, our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. Thursday, our gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m., meet here at the church. And on Fridays, we have two adult Bible studies available for you all. One at the Goveas, the other one at the Vivid's house, 18 years and up, 7 p.m., meet at those addresses. So if you're an adult, that's where you want to be on Friday night. So get connected. Find a place for you and your family to belong to throughout the week and build that fellowship, build those friendships. Now it's time to get mentored. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Our 101 is called Welcome to Your New Life. That book is done one-on-one -on -one with a leader in the church who wants to invest and pour their life into you and to teach you all that God 
has for you to know to really encourage you in your walk with the Lord. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. This is where we teach you and train you to be a leader in the church so that one day you can be ordained to be a deacon or an elder and to fulfill all that God has called for your life. Then we want to send you out. Somebody say send. We want to send you out to do evangelism, to preach the gospel on the streets, to do all, the, all that God has commanded. That's every Saturday from 5 to 8. If you meet here at the church, you could hit the streets with the, the best of the best, the, the Marines for Jesus, which we all should be Marines for Jesus, preaching the gospel everywhere that we go. But street evangelism is powerful. If you've never done it, I want to encourage you to do it. Put it in your schedule. Meet out there with them. It will rock your life, and you will be able to rock others' life with the message of the gospel. Amen? So in a recap, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal, a vision of loving God and loving people, strategy to connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get an amen? Come on. Who's excited today? I want to feel it. I don't feel the vibe of excitement. Come on. Who's excited to give tithes and offerings? Yes. We're going to be getting into our uh, Disciples Giving Book lesson. But really quick, we believe that a tithe is 10% of our total income given to the church regularly. So if we have $1,000, we got $1,000 from our paycheck, how, many, how much would 10% be? 100. If we have $100, how much should we give faithfully to the Lord off of 100? $10. So we, that should be done regularly and faithfully between you and the Lord on a regular basis. And an offering is an amount above that. That is an amount between you and the Lord that God presses on your heart to give, which we designate towards missions and towards building. So let's get into our giving book lesson today. We're on section three of the book. It's all going to be about stewardship, one of my favorite lessons of the entire book, the, my favorite section. Section three, all about stewardship. Today is lesson two. Stewards are committed to God. Stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. So we are managers. God is entrusting us with things that he's given to us because everything we have is because of him. So we must show ourselves to be faithful and wise stewards, managing well what he has given. We're going to be reading from Proverbs 16, verse 3 today. Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. And he will establish your plans. How many of you guys want your plans to be established by the Lord? That's the only way they're going to last. So let's read the three main points from that verse. Number one, commit to the Lord. To commit something to God literally means to roll them over to his care. How many of you guys are glad we can do that? We have an awesome God. We can roll over things into his care. The picture in the Hebrew language is like someone giving their burdens to someone else to carry. Concerning your finances, we should roll them onto God because he is able to care for us. Amen. Number two, whatever you do, we should commit everything in our life to God, not just salvation. Some people just give God the bad days, but we should entrust God with paydays, bill days, and everything in between. So that is a walk with God that is so close. We can trust him with the big things, the little things, everything in between, the good days and the bad days. That is a journey and a close relationship with the Lord, and we have to entrust that to him. And number three, he will establish your plans. God wants to bless you more than you could ever imagine, but he will never do it at the expense of his kingdom. 
Therefore, ask God to bless your plans for his glory. So when we ask God for things, it should be to glorify his name and to further his kingdom, especially when it comes to our finances. So in summary, roll all your financial plans onto God and let him establish your goals and your dreams. Let's apply this to our life in three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, which is 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after your tithe. Number two, entrust all you do financially to God's wisdom and commands. And number three, ask God to establish your financial plans for his kingdom. That's, that should be the mindset and the heart of every believer, that we entrust in his hands what he wants us to do so that his kingdom can be furthered. Amen. Let's recite this confession of faith together on the count of three. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. If you want that to be you, please stand up to your feet with me this afternoon as we prepare to give the Lord our tithes and offerings today. Again, a tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. We designate offering towards missions and towards building. That amount is strictly between you and the Lord. On the envelope, you can see the different categories. Please allocate the exact amount you want to go towards each one. Four ways you could give here at MPI are as follows as the slide changes. Number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry or myself for that today. And number four, you could go online and use Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Very convenient, efficient way to, to give. Here's a slide coming up about our soul-winning summer. I have an announcement to make. I want us to all get focused and honed in because it's so close to the end. But I want to let you guys know about what's coming up for August, September, and October. This is what it's going to look like. And we need you guys to continue to be generous, continue to be faithful to what God has given you. And let's knock this out and keep pushing through. So you, you guys remember the announcement I just made about the West Side Outreach, right? So West Side, we're giving away a, uh, some school supplies for free to 100 students, two laptops. Well, August 28th is going to be the back-to-school bash party for us here for this community. We're going to be giving away here free school supplies for 200 students with three laptops. So a total of 300 students receiving school supplies, five laptops to be raffled out on top of Brandon's visit here. So I just want to let you know, out of the 4,636 left, 2,500 will be just for August. So August is huge. Look at your neighbor and say, August is huge. So we want to push it in August. That's the big chunk that will be going to this out to the rest of these outreaches. September is going to be awesome, too. We're going to be sowing seed into our youth ministry. October is going to be awesome. But, but August is our biggest one as far as expenses. So it's going to take out most of that chunk that's left over. So we just really want to encourage you guys to keep on giving. If you haven't already, please pray to partner to give because we want to change Chicago one soul at a time. And we want to believe for new families in this community to come and be a part of what God is doing here as well as the West Side to come for moms and dads and grandmas and aunts and uncles to be saved. Amen? Let's be in prayer for that, and thank you so much for partnering with us. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4.19. 
will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your generosity, Lord, and we thank you that you have entrusted us to be stewards, wise managers of everything that you've given to us. I pray that we'll be faithful with our tithe, faithful with our offering. Bless it, use it, multiply it to further your kingdom in Chicago, America, and to the ends of the earth, oh God. And I pray that you bless the gift and the giver today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give today, and we thank you so much for your generosity. All right, how many are ready to go to a whole nother level? Make some noise. Let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Everybody grab out your phone for me, please. So glad to see you guys here. I was getting some of the things taken care of back there. Everybody grab out your phone because we're doing something new right now. We're on Facebook Live. So open up your phones if you could, please. It's okay to use your phones in church. Go to Facebook. You know that you've got Facebook. Come on, don't be shy. Then go to Metro Praise if you have us. As uh, a like, go ahead. It should come up easy. If you don't, then just put in Metro Praise in the search bar, Metro Praise. And then I want you to see right now that we are live, and I want you to share it with your friends right now. Come on, tell them, my pastor about ready to preach. Tell somebody you need this. You need to tune into this because we had over 700 views in our first service. Over 700 views. Isn't that awesome? So I want you to share it because this is our new way of using the technology. We used to use a, another third-party software, and it was really becoming irrelevant because now 88% of people on Facebook are using their phones. And so even though we'll average about 10 to 12 views right now throughout the, uh, the day here, 
We'll probably get close to 300 views today's service. So that will be a total of 1,000 views from both of our services. And that's pretty good for a church of 250. Can I hear an amen? So share that right now. Let your friends know. And then from this point on, both of our services, the 10 a.m., which goes to 10 to 12, and then the second service, 1 uh, to 3, is going to be live on Facebook. Thank you guys for doing that. And I want to let you know today we're in our sermon series, Spiritual Disciplines. And last week we did something very unique. I left the sermon series to address the issues of our nation. How many were thank are thankful that I did that? Can I get an amen? Amen. Many of you came up to me and thanked me for that. Well, what I had told you at that point was we were just going to skip over number five, and then you would get back on track today and be on six with everybody else. And I said if you wanted number five, just to go back and listen to it online. Well, something neat happened today. While I was preaching number six, I ended up preaching a long time just on the first part of it. So number six became two parts for the first service. So the long story short, don't get confused. I'm now going to keep you guys right on track today, and we're going to do Lesson 5. Are you excited about that? So I can look around here, and I can see the vast majority of you here were here last week as well, and that means you missed Lesson 5. So I'm very excited to do this. And then next week, to get us officially on the same track, I will preach both parts of that message, Lesson 6, together. So they'll be going into the second part of it, and you'll hear both parts together. And uh, Lesson 6 is discipleship in Christ's likeness, but I just got stuck on discipleship, man. I was just hitting it one thing after another, one thing after another. It was just on fire, and I never got to Christ's likeness. So next week, I'll preach on Christ's likeness for them, that second part of Lesson 6, and then just go through all of Lesson 6 for you. And so if you're not confused right now, you're pretty awesome. If you are confused, you don't need to be confused anymore because this is all you need to know. We're preaching on praying and worship. If you're ready, can I hear you say I'm ready? All right, I'm ready too. So we're in this uh, awesome sermon series for the summer called Spiritual Disciplines, Getting in Spiritual Shape. Our scripture is here, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Like always, the notes are online. And since I preached it last week in the first service, there's the video. So maybe I could just sit down and just have the video. Now, you guys want the real deal, don't you? Come on, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. But if you guys start acting bored, I'm going to put on the video, okay? No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. Some churches have video uh, things, don't they? Now, that's okay for some, but not for Pentecostals. Us Pentecostals, we need the real deal. We need to feel the preacher spit coming at us, don't we? We need that. Pentecostals need the fire of God. If you guys want a video pastor, you guys can find another church to do that. But I think as long as we're here and God is moving with us, 50 campuses, we'll have 50 pastors there. Amen? No, nothing against those churches. It's just not our way. It's not our, our way of doing it. Jesus came from heaven to earth to be with us. Our pastors can come to you. Amen? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 is the sermon series text where we get the idea of spiritual disciplines. And another way to look at spiritual disciplines is don't think of discipline like spiritual punishment. A lot of times we think of discipline as being punishment. No, discipline is another way of exercising something or, or, or disciplining your mind for the sake of learning. So we don't want to think of discipline like you're a bad person. We want to think of discipline as in training, and you'll see the word here, uh, strict training, the phrase. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 24, if you're there, say I'm there. All right. Do, not, uh, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the, come on, run in such a way as to get the what? The prize. So Paul is now making an example about runners. Is anybody going to watch the Summer Olympics? 
I'm kind of excited to do it. I want my kids to watch it. I want them to learn about, you know, how to win in life, how to be great at what they do. And Paul is now using that example. Remember the Roman culture adopted the Greek games and the Greek way of doing things. Even the Roman people spoke Greek, uh, the language a lot Greek. So they say the Romans conquered Greek militarily, but the Greeks conquered Rome culturally. So do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Everybody say, I want to be a winner. Thank you. This is Paul to you. Run in such a way as to get the prize. So how should you run in life? As to get the, how should you run in your Christianity? As to get the, okay? Now, I love losers because I used to be a loser. I was a high school dropout on drugs. Loser. Everybody say loser. I was a loser, and I'm glad that Jesus loves losers. If you're here today and you're not going to heaven, you're a loser without God. God loves you. But listen to me. Now that he has saved us, we're made what? Winners. We're winners. He says we're more than conquerors. So I am so thankful that God loves losers, but too much to let them stay a loser and makes them a winner. Amen. And here's the deal. You're not racing against me or your neighbor. You're racing against your own self and the devil. Those are the two things that can lead you to hell. Your flesh, your body, your stinking thinking, and the devil who is a tempter. Okay? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Look at verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games... In the Olympic Games, remember this is the Roman culture making mention of the Greek games. Everyone who competes in the games goes into what? Strict training. Do you think right now the swimmers are in strict training for the Olympics? Or do you think they're going out to Giordano's eating some pizza right now? Come on, that's what I'm doing after service. I don't know about you, right? But no Olympiad is going to Giordano's right now. Do you think the track stars, do you think they're going to go to Dairy Queen and get themselves one of those cotton candy blizzards that my kids always love to get? No, and do you think right now they're just sitting on their backside, just chilling somewhere by the beach? No, they are in strict training. Look at this. They do it. These Olympians do it to get a crown that will not last, but we, get a, we do it to get a crown that will last for how long? Forever. Do you see the connection? Everybody look up at me, please. Follow me. Do you see Paul's connection? I'm not making this up. Paul is saying you need to win in life. Paul is saying that you need to look to those who are the most extreme in their sports, those who are the most talented, and look at what they give to win, and you need to do likewise to win in Christianity. Now, this is not saying that we are saved by our works. God is not a God only giving his affection to those who work and prove it and win. No, God is saying he loves us. He died for us while we were yet sinners, while we could not do one thing for ourselves. So we are not saved by human effort. But now, having been saved, we are to do the good works which God prepared for us in advance to do. So true faith is what saves us, and true faith works. So if you are saved, you will live like you're saved. Amen? How many of you are saved? And if I said saved from what, what would you say? What are you saved from? You saved from your bad attitude? You saved from laziness? You should be. Are you saved from perversion? Are you saved from sin? Are you saved from anger? You're saved from your whole life altogether, aren't you? They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. How many on Judgment Day want the crown of life? The crown of God's reward of eternal life. That's what I want. Now look at verse 26. Therefore, 
There's that literary term, making use. I like to make use of it every time I read this passage because many of us forget what Paul is talking about. Everything he said in verses 24 and 25 is there for this reason. That is what that means, therefore. He is connecting these two things together. The examples in 24 and 25 are what you should have in your mind now as you hear the point, as you hear the spiritual point. What is the spiritual point? Therefore, I do not run like someone aimlessly. I don't start a race and go, okay, where am I going? Where am I going? Oh, I'm not going to start reading my Bible going, oh, what do I do? I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to live for Jesus, right? I'm not going to start praying and be like, I'm wanting to pray. I'm wanting to pray, but I'm also hungry, and I'm wanting something to eat, and I'm also distracted by what my neighbor did to me. No, I'm going to run my spiritual race, whether it's reading the Bible, praying, going to church. I'm not going to run it aimlessly, and I'm not going to fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I'm going to strike a blow to my body, make it my slave, and after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He's going to run his race, and he's going to beat up that enemy, starting with himself. Now, this is not talking about the Catholic practice of self-humiliation, where they would cut themselves, beat themselves. You know, we see these young girls cutting themselves, right? They're cutters. That's what they call them. You know who did that long before those girls? Catholic priests. They would whip themselves and beat themselves so that they could earn merit with God. That is a sin. If you don't believe me, look it up. The idea that you're beating your body to be your slave is not a physical blow. You are making it your spiritual slave, meaning wherever you want to go in your spirit, you're making your body go. You're going to live holy, your body's following you in holiness. You want to do the right thing, you're telling this tongue what to say today. You want to start having the mind of Christ, you're going to get rid of stinking thinking and start thinking on Jesus today. Can I hear an amen? Now that is the scripture that we've been going over five times in the second service, six times in the first service, and next week we'll be all caught up together. Do you understand this? Does everybody get what this means? Because that is why we are in a sermon series called Spiritual Disciplines. We should have in our life strict discipline, strict training to live for Jesus. Now today we're talking about praying and worshiping, but there are other spiritual disciplines. So I want you to look at the definition of spiritual disciplines and then the other ones that we're mentioning in this series. The definition of spiritual discipline is this. The commands and practices a disciple show in their life to grow spiritually because they know God. Everybody say show, grow, and know. And the way I like to say it, though, was hard to say it in a sentence, and maybe someone here is a little better at writing than me can put it in a sentence, is I like to say this, when I know God, I will show that I know God and grow to be like God. That's another, maybe I should just write it down like that. Nancy, write that down so I don't forget it. The definition of spiritual disciplines is, no, because I'm focusing on the showing here. That's the problem that is in the sentence. But if you ever get confused about showing, growing, and knowing, they do work in a cycle, and there's no reason to get confused about it because we've done a previous sermon series on spiritual growth. Can I show you that previous sermon series? Because I see some new people here, and I want everybody to have that graphic so that you guys can um, take a look at it. Let me go here to one of my um, previous sermon series. Anytime you guys ever want to go online and find them, I'll show you how to do it. Go to sermons, mpichurch.org. Go to sermon videos and notes, and you'll see everything that we did. And uh, because there's some new people here, I want to show you guys. Here's our spiritual growth sermon series. Did anybody enjoy that? Eight messages there. I'll just pick out, say, uh, one of these here. Let's go before that. Let's go to this one right here, spiritual life. 
And let me show you this chart, and I think it will be very helpful for many of you here today. This will help you understand what the spiritual life looks like. And out of our spiritual growth sermon series, we started the spiritual discipline sermon series. So when Christ makes you new, you become new on the inside. Are you new? Amen. Can I hear an amen? How many are new? Okay, because if you're not made new and all you do, do, do is good works and you try to earn your salvation, all you'll have is do, do. You understand? Your good works will be like filthy rags in the sight of God. The only way your good works count is when you get made new. So if you're not made new, all you have is do, do. But if you're made new, you're going to do things for Jesus. Amen? Get made new first. Then you start to know, grow, and show. And another way to look at this is uh, this chart right here, knowing God is how you start that relationship. How many believe that Jesus is God and Savior? Can I hear an amen? How many believe you share in the divine nature of God after you're born again? And how many believe you can do all that God commands you to do? Amen. Now the showing is all those spiritual disciplines, and the spiritual growing is all the fruit of the Spirit and the things listed by Peter in the passage that we read for that sermon series, which was 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. So here we go. You get the new man which is the believer's perfect spirit and purified soul given by the Holy Spirit at new birth. Once again, how many are born again? Amen. Now, spiritual growth happens after you're born again. That is the Spirit's growing, the, the Holy Spirit growing the believer's faith by their knowledge of God and showing it through their spiritual disciplines. Now, how many know God? How many want to show that they know God? Can I hear an amen? And how many want to grow up and do what God does? And that's where renewal and transformation happens. Renewal speaks of your uh, behavior and transformation speaks of your mind. The evidence that the believer reflects the image of Christ internally is their renewed thoughts and externally in their transformed behavior. If your mind is renewed, your behavior is transformed. Does everybody get that? And so those are the things that we went over before. And so it's really the Holy Spirit doing all of this in us. The new man is the Holy Spirit saving and sanctifying. Spiritual growth is the Spirit growing. And renewal and transformation is the Spirit renewing and transforming. Can I get an amen for that? Now, when we go back to our sermon, which, of course, I just lost here. Let me get it up. Uh, guys, shut this off for me, please. I always do something naughty here. Oh, I got it. No, I don't. Everybody look in their Bibles to... Um, Colossians chapter 3, turn there with me because I'm going to show you this. Just let me control it just for a second, unless you did it for me already. No, give me just a second here. You guys look to Colossians chapter 3. I apologize by doing that different. I threw them off for a second. Let me go right here. I got it, guys. Thank you. Today's sermon notes are online for you as well. That's why I'm going back to our website if you ever want to know what we're doing. Oops, picked the wrong one. Colossians chapter 3. And um, I'm trying to guess the verse off top, but I'm going to need to see it here. Oh, stinker, banker, help me, Jesus. Somebody say, help him, Lord. I need the touch of the Holy Spirit right now. I need the touch because I, you know what I did is I took these charts off because I knew I was repeating myself a lot, but I feel today I need to help some of you understand this. Okay. Let me do this. Wow. Very seldom do I get in the position that I'm in right now. Is it as awkward for you as it is for me? Very seldom do I feel as hot up here as it is right now. There she goes. Did I say Colossians? I meant 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and it is hot up here. Here's what I want you to understand. 
why spiritual growth matters. Because remember that chart I just showed you? Remember this one right here? Okay. Let me show you how it looks in your daily spiritual life. The new birth, that inner part that we talked about right here, that new man, is going somewhere in life. That's why I love this chart as well, because it's going somewhere. It's going to grow. Does everybody get that? When you're made new, you're going to grow. Okay? And as you're growing, you're going to have renewal and transformation. But what is the purpose of that? So that you can reflect the image of Jesus. Does everybody see why spiritual disciplines are so important? Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18 out of the King James Version. It's on the board. But we all, with an open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from what? From what? Glory to what? From what? Glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord. Does everybody get that? Now, I love to show new people that as I see a lot of new people here. Why? Because I want you to understand why spiritual disciplines are so important. So let's go back to today's notes. I got them up here for you. I want you to see what a spiritual discipline is. Remember this definition here. I just went over it, and I'll put it together with everything I showed you. Spiritual disciplines are the commands and practices a disciple show in their life to grow spiritually because they know God. How many think that's important? How many see the connection to what Paul was saying about strict training? Winning a race that you're running? Now, the spiritual disciplines we have are Bible reading. How many enjoyed that lesson? Anybody? Family order, scripture memorization, soul journaling, and then what's today going to be on? Praying and worshiping. For first service, I got to go over the first part of discipleship and Christ-likeness. That will be next week for you guys. Next is Christian service, then public evangelism, spiritual meditation, financial stewardship, Christian fellowship, and church involvement. How many get it? Can I get an amen? I need you guys to talk to me today. Come on, help me. You get it? Okay, let's talk about praying and worshiping. Praying and worshiping today are the fundamental activities in the Christian's life. This is fundamental to your Christian life. And it brings literally God's presence and power. Without praying and worshiping, you cannot tap into God's presence and power. Sadly, though, today most Christians, and I can say this as a pastor for over 15 years, do not know how to properly pray. They're beating the air, they're running aimlessly, and they don't know how to worship. Nor do the Christians who know how to pray and worship make time on a regular basis to do so. So you see the two problems we have? We have ignorance, people not knowing how to pray and worship, and then we have laziness, people knowing how to pray and worship but got better things to do, got to check Facebook, got to keep up with all the stuff going on in my job, got to make sure I do all the yard work, got to see how my vegetables are growing, got to go visit my friends, going to the beach, barbecue, no time to pray and worship. So we got a problem with ignorance, people don't know how to pray and worship, and then we have a problem with laziness. Now, some Christians, and I don't know if this is you today, but be honest, have actually forgotten or have never been taught that they are the literal temple of the Holy Spirit. And thus, you should be in constant communion with the Lord, practicing his presence. How many like that phrase, practice his presence? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, and see where we get the idea of the temple of the Lord. How many would say you got a pretty big temple today? If your body's your temple, anybody got a big temple? I used to be about 60, or 60 pounds overweight, so I had a big temple. I have like a five-bedroom temple for Jesus or a five-bedroom house. You know, some of you got little skinny temples. Some of you got medium-sized temples. How many like your temple? Do you like your body? A lot of people don't like their body. You got to love yourself if you're going to love others as yourself. You know that, right? How can I love you as myself if I don't love me? 
Isn't that something? Now, some people, they say, well, I'm mean to others, but uh, I mean, I'm mean to myself, but I'm not really that way to others. Well, really, you're a hypocrite. And the reason is, is because you really don't love them either. You have a superficial thing you're doing to so somewhat be nice, but you can never truly love someone else until you love yourself. Why? Because if you are this hard on the person you know the most, which is you, your love for them is superficial, and that means if you spent enough time with them like you spent with yourself, you'd be just as hard on them as you are with yourself, so you'd be under the same condemnation. Do you get that? That is why self-loathing is not biblical. Humility is not looking at yourself as a worm. Humility is looking at yourself as the way God says you are. God says you're beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made. God says you can do all things through, who, through him who strengthens you. And so that's the knowledge you should have of yourself. And he thought you were worth it to die on the cross for, so you're worth it. Amen? And so we need to understand our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit dwells with our spirit. You are not just a body. You are not an animal that has gone from the goo through the zoo to you. Does everybody get that? What does evolution teach? That long time ago, nothing banged and something happened. Isn't that what they teach? You ask a scientist, the Big Bang. You believe in Yeah, I believe in the Big Bang because I'm a scientist. Okay, tell me what banged. We don't know. Tell me how it banged. We don't know. Where did it come from, the bang stuff, the stuff that got banged? Because nothing can't bang nothing. You understand? So we believe in the Big Bang. We just know who banged it. God said, let there be light and what? Bang, it happened. God said, let there be the stars in the sky and what? Bang, it happened. And then when he created man, did he start off with a little single-cell organism living in the ocean? Did he then allow that to happen to turn into a little land-dwelling creature and then eventually go into a primate to you? So did the creation of mankind start off with goo, primordial goo, go through all the animals of the zoo, and that's why it's you? No, God made you in his image. Out of the dust of the earth, the flesh, and then what did he do? Breathe life into you. Man became a living soul. You are a spiritual soul. The breath of God gave you that soul. That's why when the body dies, departs back to dust, come from where it came, dust it came from, dust it goes, your soul and spirit live on with God, either in eternity, uh, go on into eternity either with God or in hell. And so that's why you have to have a new spiritual birth. Well, those of us who have been born again, now the Holy Spirit lives in us. This body of dust is the temple of the Lord. As the temple used to be made out of fine uh, wood, uh, fine wood and covered in brass and gold and all those things. Now your, uh, stones and pearls and jewels, rather, you now are that temple. Look at your body and say, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know what's funny? Some people go, well, where's God? I can't see him. And I say, are you a Christian? They go, yeah, well, God's in you. And then they go, well, I can't see God. And then I ask them, can you see you? Because when you look in the mirror, what do you see? An eye. That's not you. You look in the mirror and you see hair. That's not you. Have you ever thought about where you are? You're somewhere in there, right? Now they want to say that consciousness is something created by the brain, but they know better than that. Now our new neuroscientists are coming out just ripping apart naturalism and materialism going, we have no clue where consciousness comes from. The guys who came around in the 60s and 70s and thought they had it figured out, they really had no clue. We are now at the beginning of starting to understand neuroscience, and we still can't explain the conscience. What makes us different than animals is that conscious soul. As I said before, you can eat whatever uh, is made of the animal kingdom. And then some people go, that's not fair. And I go, well, if you want to make it fair, when they start telling me not to eat them, then I'll stop eating them because that will show they have a conscience. Are you understanding? Do you not believe in that? Do you want to be a vegetarian? Our God is not vegetarian. You may be vegetarian, but our God is not vegetarian. God created the animals for you to eat. 
God created them. At first, they were our companions, but then after the fall, they became our meat. God was the first one to kill an animal. Don't be, don't, don't d- um, be mean to animals. The Bible says in Proverbs, those who are mean to animals are mean people. So we should treat animals kindly and gentle and show that we are gentle people. So I'm not giving you permission to kick and do that to dogs because they do feel pain, but they do not have a conscious mind and soul as we do. They cannot communicate the way we do. Now, I know they may say a dolphin can go (coughs) and do some type of communication, but that is simply a matter of instinct. They can't think about what they're thinking about. Do you understand that self-reflection shows that you have a soul? Think about something. Now think about you thinking about that. That is a conscious mind. I think, therefore, I am. Who said that? Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. You see, we used to be built upon the godly uh, nature, I mean, godly people in the sciences. Philosophy was established by godly people. The great philosophers were mostly godly and showed us how to understand ourselves. The greatest scientists like Sir Isaac Newton were also godly. Francis Bacon, are you understanding what I'm saying? So when you look at the temple of the Holy Spirit, you're looking at your body, which is physical, but you're also understanding that I am in material somewhere on the inside here in my body, using this as a car, as it were. The driver's not the car, but the driver drives the car. I am not my body, but I am attached to the body, and I'm using the body for the means of transportation and dwelling upon earth. Is anybody here Casper the ghost? You have a body, right? But now you know you also have a soul. What lives on after the body dies? The soul. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look, don't you know? Everybody say, come on, Paul, tell me something. Come on, somebody say, Paul, tell me something. He's going to tell you right here, don't you know? That you yourselves are God's temple. Don't you know that? Thanks, Paul. I forgot. I thought I was just here to eat a lot of food. Or on the other extreme, I thought I was just here to be America's next top model. Right? All these women making videos about makeup, that's fine. All these dudes making videos about working out, I know I need to do that. But guess what? Outer beauty only counts for so much. Inward beauty is what lasts forever. The Bible says that uh, charm can be deceitful and, and beauty be vain and all of those things, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. So don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Now watch this. This is the great thing to know here. And that God's spirit dwells in your... So where is God? In our midst. He's right here. Once again, I don't see him, but I don't see you either. You know that? I only see your body. I don't see you. And I know you're more than a body. How many believe you're more than a body? I'm going to blow your mind just a few more moments because some of you think this is me goofing around with you. No, this is the foundation for ethics is understanding who you are made in the image of God. This is the foundation for science. This is why math makes sense. Do you know that people who say I don't believe in anything, they say I won't believe in anything. I won't believe in anything that can't be scientifically proven. Do you know that that sentence can't be scientifically proven? You cannot prove the statement I don't believe in anything but science. You know there's a lot of things you can't prove with science. Did you know that? Do you know that you can't prove with science that there are other minds in this room right now? You may be in the matrix as one individual in a computer program that the robots have trained you to think that there are other people in this room, and that's called solipsism, is to believe you're the only real mind here, and we are all now figments of the program of the alien mind. But you take it by faith, though you can't see my soul, that I am also like you a mind. You know, there's another thing that we also take for granted, is that we're actually now in the present based off of our past. How do you know the past existed? You could have just been created by an alien race, a god or something, and now you were put here.
to make you feel, to have memories that you had a past, your, your, your life goes back 50 years, to make you feel like you had food in your belly from what you ate this morning, and to make you feel that what I'm saying to you is crazy because, of course, you were in the past, but you can't prove it. How can you prove that you were here 10 minutes ago? There is no way to prove the past. There is no way to prove that there are other minds. There is no way to prove why mathematics works. The only thing we know about mathematics is that it corresponds to our natural reality. The only thing that we know about science is that it corresponds to our natural, our, our natural reality. But we cannot prove why it works. We just know how it works. We don't know why. It just does. It just does. The his boson, the God particle, which they discovered first through mathematics, was discovered afterward through practical science. They were able through mathematics to discover a particle in the universe that is part of our fundamenta fundamental nature of all things, deeper than the atom, deeper than a new, new, ner, uh, neutron. They found the Higgs boson particle through math first. They discovered it and said, oh, this thing should be here because my math equations say it's here. Now, all of those things work. Why? Why? Because you're a spiritual being. Now, watch this. God's spirit is also in your midst right now. He's in your midst right here. So do you see why I said all of that? Because if you're so shallow in your thinking to believe, if I don't see God, he's not here, then that means minds aren't here. The past was never here. You're not here. Mathematics is not here. Hello? Morality is not here. All of these things we call transcendental. Some of them have called it Platonism, to believe in things that are outside of our matter, space, and time. But what is the best explanation for things dwelling outside of matter, space, and time? God. So if God created, imagine this computer is our universe, and let's just use technology, because a lot of times we think of like, how does God know me? How does God know all my thoughts? Because we think of persons trying to know other people, and we're so limited in our minds. But let me just for a few moments blow your mind again by using technology as a visual to help you understand God's omniscience and his omnipotence, his power. Imagine the entire known universe is here on this computer. God programmed it as such. And you're here in the flesh living out your life, but it's all part of a program he made. Just follow me here. And he sovereignly designed this program to have you to have free will. Now imagine this. Could God know what is going on in this program? Absolutely. If God was able to see all the screens at once, he could see your screen, my screen, and everybody else's screen. If he was able to read your messages, your prayers to him, he could do it. Now imagine this now. Think about this. Is there any place he couldn't be if he made the entire program and he's sitting over it? No place he couldn't be. Is there any prayer he couldn't answer? No, he made the whole thing. He's interacting with it. Are you with me? Now, guess what? Could the computer itself see that he's there? No, because within the computer, all it knows is everything that a computer knows. It only knows its hard drive. It only knows what it sees inside the computer. You see, I see this computer, but I don't see Steve Jobs, the one who created it. I see this computer, but I don't see the engineers who made it. Are you understanding? Now, could I turn on this video camera and then see the maker? Absolutely. But this is what God said. Through faith, we see him dimly. So I get to see him through dreams, visions, every now and then through special encounters in that way because that is how he's purposed it, to test our faith so that we would become people of faith. Now, you may say, I don't like the journey of faith with God. I want to see him to believe him. Adam and Eve saw him and didn't believe him. So now we are in a fallen world, seeing him dimly, and what we may only see is the computer, the world we live in, his creation. But the reason why he's not in it, throwing his hand here, reaching down, saying, hello, guys, here I am, is because he's outside of matter, space, and time, but yet he's interacting with it. 
I don't know what this phrase means to you, but that was my best way of explaining it. God's spirit dwells in your midst. I don't know how you see that, but that's how I would look at it. God is with me everywhere I go, though he doesn't physically have to appear to prove it. And I am his temple, and he is dwelling in me. His energy and his source of life is in me. And when I hear him speak, I hear him speak in the language of thoughts. And when I sense his love, I feel his love in the language of emotions. And when I feel his power, I feel it in the language of energy and motivation. When I say that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, what do I mean? God then comes next to me like a puppet, like a marionette, and they're puppet, and he just moves me around. I go, oh, my gosh, now I can do this thing. God told me I could do it. No, when I feel the strength of God, it's motivating strength. It's God showing me the end at the beginning going, this is worth it. Put your heart on this. Seek me in this. And I start to feel motivation, just like the soldier feels motivation to step in front of his brother to take the bullet. I feel the motivation of the Holy Spirit to do these things I naturally wouldn't because God shows me his kingdom. He gives me a taste of it. Can I hear an amen? Let's continue on through the introduction. It is time that disciples learn how to pray and worship so they can practice the presence of the Lord. So now it's time that we learn to engage with our physical actions of prayer and worship that we learn to engage in the presence of God, that intangible, immaterial, non-physical presence, we learn to engage in it through our spirit because we are his temple and he is in our midst. Now let's talk about prayer. How many want to learn about prayer? Here's the command to pray. How many want to learn a Bible verse today? Here's the second shortest Bible verse in the whole Bible. The first one is what? Jesus wept. This is the second one. First Thessalonians 5.16. Say it with me. One, two, three. Pray. Let's say it again. One, two, three. Pray. Now close your eyes and see if you got it. One, two, three. Pray continually. Good job. You memorized the scripture. Is there anything about this scripture you're unclear about? Anything you're unclear about? Just wondering. What do you think Paul is asking us to do here? Pray continually. So is there ever a time I should stop praying? Is there ever a time in my life I should be disconnected from the presence of the Lord? Is there any time where my thoughts should stop being filtered through his presence? That's the way I like to think about thinking when I'm communicating with the Lord. Every time I turn on my faucet, all the water goes through a what? A filter. No water can come into that cup unless it first goes through the filter. Have you ever filtered your thoughts in the presence of the Lord? You should be doing that continually. Continually. Every thought you're having should be filtered through the presence of the Lord. That way when there's some junk that comes in there, God goes, get that out. He doesn't want to brainwash you. He doesn't want to just take away your ability to think. He just wants to purify what you are thinking about. So there is a brainwashing happening, but it's not a mind control. It's not, I'm now controlled by the mind of Christ. I pray continually. I hear the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus wasn't like that. You understand? Jesus was in constant communion with the Father, and what that meant was his thoughts were always being Father-filtered. Father-filtered. That's another one. Can you write that down so we don't forget that? Praying is letting God filter your thoughts. Father-filter. Hashtag Father-filter. What is the definition of prayer? You guys just must be hot because you guys look angry. Some of y'all don't even look happy to be in church. Are y'all hot? It's not my fault. 
I got fans everywhere. Get close to a fan if you hot and bothered right now, okay? Can I get can I see some smiles? Okay, thank you. It's hard up here. I'm telling you, it's not as easy as it looks, folks. Here's the definition of prayer. You want to know the, de the deep definition of prayer? To communicate with God by talking and listening. And now that we've understood that we have a spiritual soul, we can talk and listen with our heart, our inner person. Right? Let's try it right now. Let's, let's talk to ourselves. Okay? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Now let's try it right now. Let's talk to God. Right? Now let's take some time to listen. Can God speak? Yes, he can. We're probably thinking about what others are thinking about. But if we stop thinking about others, maybe get our, get our mind off ourselves, we can start to hear God communicate. Most of the times do people, the people who have told me, I don't hear God's voice, are the ones who do not know how to silence their voice. You see, if I'm trying to talk to Monica and TJ is talking to Monica, sorry, um, Will is talking to Monica at the same time, it will be very hard for Monica to hear me. Now, if I move further and further away from Monica and Will moves closer and closer to Monica, eventually my voice will be distant and his voice will be loudest, right? People tell me, I can't hear God's voice anymore. Who moved? They did. Hello? I can only hear these negative thoughts in my mind. Why? That's all you're listening to. Hello? Is it God's fault we have stinking thinking right now? When we stop praying continually and stop letting God filter our thoughts, what's, our, what's going to be our thoughts? Ours. 80% of man's thoughts are negative. You have on average about 38,000 thoughts a day. 38,000 thoughts a day, about one every second. Most of your thoughts are negative. Sadly, it's negative. You fight against them most of the time with rational arguments. But there are some thoughts that your rational arguments don't work. And sadly, we argue with ourselves and lose. What is depression? The sin of believing your negative thoughts about yourself and you're losing against yourself because you're trying to fight yourself with your own words. How do you fight depression? With the words of God. What is therapy in the world? The, word, the words of your therapist. You're okay. Let's practice some cognitive retraining. That's what will start helping you. But what will help the Christian not be depressed? Meditate on the word of God. Fighting their negative thoughts with the word of God. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I lose against my own thoughts too, right? I, I lose. What is anxiety? Losing against your own thoughts of worry. And I know all of us look cool and calm right now, but we could all um, provoke you enough, we would all face anxiety right now, right? For some of you, all we'd have to do is get up about 10,000 feet, open up the door and say it's time to jump. All of us would start having anxiety who have an issue with, with heights, right? To provoke some of you with anxiety, all we have to do is say, your bank account's now at zero, and bills are due. Now, what happens? Most of the time, we use rational thought. It seems to win. I'll be okay. I'll get a new job. But what is the person under panic, anxiety, disorder, those different things, those who are losing the fight? It's the sin of believing your worry over God's promises. I don't say the same thing about schizophrenia, ADHD, and some of these other disorders, but the Bible specifically deals with depression and anxiety. And the Bible says, deny yourself. Depression is an exalting of self, and the, and the Bible says, do not worry about what you'll eat or drink. 
And then it says to seek first the kingdom of God, right? So we know the Bible speaks about these things. So when people tell me I don't know how to hear from God, the problem isn't God. The problem is you. You need to learn how to hear from God. Now, some monks thought they could do this really cool by going away to these villages, growing their own wine, uh, having their own gardens, cutting their hair in funny shapes, and wearing sackcloth to torture themselves, by the way. And if you ever want to know why friars look like that, they shaved the middle of the head, was because they made vows of celibacy, wanted to be unattractive to the outside world, and that's why once again, they wore um, those brown things you would see them wearing. That was actually sackcloth, so it would rub against their skin and be painful even when they walked. And they thought that way I would hear more from God. That's not how Jesus heard from God. That's not how he listened to his Father. When Jesus was in the flesh, he was the perfect example of how to hear from the Father. And what did he do? He made time to be alone with God. So by being alone with God, getting away from distractions, you get to learn to hear God's voice. Then you'll learn to practice his presence while you have all the other voices. You can pray while you're on your job. You can pray on your way to your commute. You can pray while you're in the middle of an argument. You can pray in the middle of battle. I don't know if anybody ever seen Saving Private Ryan and the sniper up there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. And he shoots. You can pray in battle. David prayed in battle. Hello. You think David was a wimp? David prayed in battle. Everybody's going to be motivated by something. Some basketball players put on rap. Other people classical music. Why not put on the uh, words of God and start praying and communicating with him? This is how your soul was made. Your soul was made to have internal dialogue. And that internal dialogue will only rest at peace when it's anchored in the thoughts of God in a prayer and communication with the Lord. Outside of the anchor of prayer and communication with God, all of us can be taken by the storms of life. How many have ever been through the storms of life? How many ever got scared in the middle of the storms of life and said, I never thought it would get this bad? I mean, the person who's depressed today, I don't think it's like their intention to be that way. They're the anxiety person or the person today that's contemplating suicide or the person that's addicted to drugs or in a bad relationship, an abusive relationship. Most people find themselves in these situations and go, how did I ever get here? Well, the problem is with problems is we don't understand their problems until they become a problem. That's the problem with problems. Think about it. If we knew that that boyfriend, right, ladies, was a bad guy, we would never dated him. But we didn't know it until what? It became a problem. Why? Because we weren't in constant communication with the Lord. You see, the Bible says he'll lead us in the paths of righteousness. You need to be spirit-led in your relationships. You need to learn to be spirit-led in the places that you go. You can't blame God for the problems you created. And then you ask him to do uh, get me out of jail free card. Oh, Lord, take me out of this mess. It's no different than the person weighing 600 pounds going, God, take away all the weight. This is your fault. And God says, you ate yourself to 600 pounds. God, take away all the worry. You've been worrying 24 hours a day for the last seven days a week. Now, thankfully, God is compassionate and merciful, but it's not his fault. Do you understand the difference? The problems with problems is that we don't know their problems until they become a problem. I just feel so much stuff coming out in the second service. Write that down. Write it down, please. No one else wants it. Write it down. That's good. First service will like it. Oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. Half kid. Anyways, the problem with problems is we don't know their problems until they become problems. So we need to have a constant communication with the Lord. How many want to learn the nine kinds of prayers? Amen. Here are nine kinds of prayers. Let me just show you the first one, prayer of request and the scripture. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, so that you can see that there are different kinds of prayers. Now, somebody might be like, oh, yeah, I know there's different kinds of prayer. There's the prayer to Mary, the prayer to St. Bartholomew. No, no, no. We're not talking about those kinds of prayers. We're talking about biblical prayers. In the Bible, you're never going to pray to anybody but God. Can I hear an amen? Show me one time they prayed to anybody but God, and I'll be the first one to start praying to whoever that person is. In the Bible, they only pray to God the Father through Jesus. And in the Old Testament, before Jesus was revealed, it was to the Father. Now look at this. 
and pray in the Spirit on how many occasions? On all occasions with what? All kinds of prayers and requests. How many just learned something? All kinds of prayers. Did you know there's all kinds of prayers? With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So imagine if I sent you into the gym right now and I said, show me 10 physical exercises for your body. Some of you would just walk around and go, uh, I think this is one over here. This machine does something and probably would go on it backwards, you know. Now, those of you who have been in the gym before, you're going to be like, this one does this, this one does this. How many go to the gym? How many, could, how many could show me 10 exercises, right? How many could show me 10 prayers? See, what's more important, physical exercise or spiritual? Spiritual. Bible says physical exercise is of some benefit, but spiritual is of more benefit. So I like to go to the gym, and I see all those bodybuilders, and then I'm preaching the gospel to them, and I go, hey, I look like you on the inside. That's true. I'm spiritually in shape. If I spend as much time in the gym as I do praying and reading my Bible, I would make Arnold Schwarzenegger look like a wimp. I'm serious. I'm committed to praying and reading the Bible. Are you listening to me? I'm committed to practicing his presence. So you see, you just learned something right now. Because some of you might just go to the gym and all you do is bench, press, bench, press, bench, press. Only exercise you know is jogging or whatever. You see, if that's all you did, you would be lacking the exercise for the other parts of your body. And it's the same thing. If all you know how to do is the, Lord, help me pray. I need you. Where are you, God? Where are you? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> if that's the only prayer you need or only prayer you have, then you're probably not getting built up in all the other prayers, right? Because the only thing you know is, dear God, I need you now, prayer. And how many are happy, happy he hears that prayer? How many are happy he heard the prayer of the thief on the cross? He's lived his whole life as a sinner, and he just said, Lord, remember me when you get to paradise. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me. Praise God. But how many want to grow up a little bit? How many want to grow up so you can go up to another level? How many want to leave the kindergarten of spirituality and go to another level with God, right? Well, that's why we need to know about these all kinds of prayers. And so... I've gone through the Bible for you and listed out primarily the main kinds of prayers. We don't have to go through each one of their scriptures, but they're here listed for your benefit. Starting with the prayer request, that is God. That's you asking God for help. Lord, I need your help. The prayer of repentance is, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin, and I'm going to turn away from it. Remember, repentance is not a cycle of sin. Lord, forgive me for looking at pornography. I feel so bad, but oh my gosh, it feels so good. I feel like looking at it again. Here I go, Lord, but I feel so bad now. Forgive me, Jesus. I don't ever want to look at it again except this one last time. This one last time because I feel so bad, God. I feel so bad. That's not how you live the Christian life. It is not a broken record. 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 Living for Jesus is a path of holiness, a path moving forward, shining brighter and brighter as the sun. So let's say I'm on this path, I sin. I ask God to forgive me of the sin. I turn from going in the wrong direction, go back to the right direction, move away from my sin. Joe, have you sinned since being a Christian? Yes, but I have sinned less once I believe God made me sinless. The more I know who God's made me to be is the more I sin less. And I am walking further and further away from sin. Ask my wife. She's been married with me for 11 years. Ask her. Has Joe sinned less since you've known him? Ask her. Ask her this. First of all, my kids have never even heard me yell, and I used to yell when we first got married. So over the last seven years now, I have changed. I do not even raise my voice like that at home. 
Now, have I raised my voice like that at Guitar Center with people on the phone from Comcast? Yes, I have. But I'm also sinning less, right? I'm sinning less. It is actually a trackable thing in my life that if you were putting a dot every time on a timeline I sinned, you would see a lot of dots at the beginning, and now the dots are spacing out further and further. And there are some sins I have never done again. I've never looked at pornography since 96. Now, how many are happy about that? Okay, would you be okay if I just said I looked at it in my office before I came out here? Right? I have never stolen since 95. I take some that doesn't belong to me. I haven't lied since about 99. You want to hear the last time I lied? I was a pastor, and I full-on lied. It was 1999. You want to hear my lie? I don't know. You all don't want to hear. I'm just going to go on to the next thing. You want to hear the lie? I'll tell you the last time I lied. I know exactly where it was. So some people are like, I don't know. I don't know my sins. You know your sins if you're honest with God. And if you say there's so many I can't count, you're not saved. Get saved and start keeping track of what you're doing wrong and ask God to forgive you and turn away from it, right? Because sin is not some blurry thing to me. I can tell you the last day I lied. I'll tell you exactly the last day I lied. And I'm not talking about being polite to people, you know, being at their house. Oh, this is so good. Thank you for making it for me. I'm not talking about being polite. You know, I don't consider that a lie because what you're trying to do is be polite. Now, some of you may consider that a lie. We'll talk about that later. But what I'm talking about is an actual true statement being denied, a true statement being denied. Are you telling something that's not true? So denial of the truth or asserting a lie. So here I am as a pastor. Bought uh, buses to pick up people from the inner city. I was uh, working as a pastor in New Orleans, nine different housing projects. Had a bunch of different ways to get people to church with vans and cars. And I said, we need a school bus. So I bought a school bus, drove it back from Alabama, and I said to myself, I need to go get the CDL license so I can drive the school bus. So I set up the day that I bought the bus to go to the DMV to take the test to get the license to drive the bus. Already at that point, there's something wrong with that. Do you get that? I needed the license to even drive the bus off the sales lot. Right? Do you get that? But I, I just bought it. And then I said, I'm going to go to the DMV and now get the license. And so I brought some homeless guys with me because I had over 30 homeless people stay in my home for about th- uh, over a period of about three or four years. So I had some homeless guys. And we're driving there. We get the bus. We go back. I stop at the DMV. I take the test. I fail the test miserably. And then there's kind of like a little nosy lady who gave me the test. She kind of like looks outside the window and she's like, that's not your bus, is it? And then I'm like, and I was tempted to lie right there, and I didn't. I go, no, that is my bus. She goes, you weren't planning on driving that back home. Here's my first lie. And I go, no, well, of course I wasn't. Of course I don't have a license to drive that bus. I wouldn't think about driving that back home. Because she's like, oh, yeah, because we'd have to take it. We'd have to tow it because, you know, you know that'd be, you'd be breaking the law. And you'd have to be towed to a tow truck place till you get a license. And, all this. and I go, no, the guy, and this is where I full on lied. It's a pastor, 1999, full on lied. I go, that guy in the bus, he has the CDL. He's going to drive. He was homeless, one-eyed Willie. You know what I'm saying? Seriously. So she's like, well, let me see him go. Now, thankfully, she didn't ask for the license. Or I should say she should have asked for the license. pastor should have gotten in trouble for this. But I lied. I'm telling you, last time I lied as a pastor. Aren't you glad I didn't lie last week when I took your tithes and offerings to the bank? Hello? See, you trust me, don't you? I don't do all the counting. They all do accounting. But you get what I'm saying. If I wanted to find a way, I could, right? Aren't you happy I'm not lying anymore, right? So, so I go into the van. She's watching us out the window. And I go, listen, Tyrone, I need you to do something for me. I need you to drive this bus outside of this parking lot and then stop on the side of the road and let me drive it. He's like, Pastor, I don't even have a license. And I'm like, no, listen to me, Tyrone. You're going to drive the bus. And this is where now I'm like making this guy sin. I don't even know what you call this manipulation. I'm like, you're going to drive the bus off the parking lot. Otherwise, we're going to get the bus towed. He's like, Pastor, listen. 
to me. I can't get a rest. I got warned for my rest. It's going to be a bright thing for me. And I'm like, listen, Tyrone, drive the bus out the parking lot. Okay, Pastor, if I get in trouble, I'm going to tell my pastor, let me drive this bus out of the parking lot. I ain't got license, Pastor. I got warned for my arrest, Pastor. Let's go. And we're like, we're like driving out the parking lot. So there was a day in the life of Pastor Joe lying. Okay? I repented from that sin, and I have walked away from lying, and I have not lied since 1999. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, that's our pastor. <laughs> okay? Now, that's what repentance is, turning away from sin, walking away from it. How many are glad I haven't murdered anybody in a while? I haven't murdered anybody. I'm kidding. Bible says anger is a sin of murder, so in that sense I have. But let's keep going. Intercession means to pray on behalf of another for their well-being. Have you ever prayed for somebody else to get saved or to be blessed? That's, that's called intercession. How about the prayer of thanksgiving? Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Hang in with me because when we get to worship, it's going to be really fun in closing. Don't get tired on me. Look at Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't be anxious about what? Anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How many need the peace of God to guard you today? I know I need it to guard me. And so how do we get the guarding of the peace of God in our life? Is taking out the anxious thoughts and putting into the heavenly realms our prayers and petitions and thanksgiving. So it's like you bounce your thoughts to God in prayer, right? Uh, Joe B., go get a basketball out there, and I'm going to show them how to bounce their thoughts to God in prayer quickly, please. I'm going to teach you one of the best techniques. This is something that even Dr. Phil ain't going to give you. Are you listening? This is one of the best techniques to avoid worry, to avoid stress, and to put it towards prayer. You want to see it? I'm gonna, how many want to see it? Okay, come on. I want to show this to you as an example. It's called bouncing your thoughts to prayer because each one of us get these negative thoughts, gnats, negative automatic thoughts, N-A-T-S. How many got a lot of gnats throughout their day? Negative automatic thoughts. You, come on, be honest. I do. So what do you do with negative automatic thoughts? You bounce them back to Jesus in prayer. Look at the scripture here. Do not be anxious about anything but in what? Every situation, you pushing it back to God with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request. Okay, stay right there. Okay, so bounce that thought. He's going to be the devil or just life, and it's like, oh, man, he bounced this thought about worry. How am I going to pay my bills? And now I'm bouncing on this. I'm chewing on this. I'm meditating on this, but I need uh, Will. Come stand on the other side. Come stand over here. So he bounced this thought to me about negative. We're going to pretend he's the devil. Okay, everybody go, oh, you the devil. You the devil. You Jesus, amen. Okay, so the devil bounced this thought to me or myself because you and the devil can work tag team together about, say, worry about finances. So it's like, of all the balls, this has like no air in it right here. Okay, so here, here we go, pound it, boom. So he bounces this thought towards worry. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to pay my bills? You dribbling on it, you meditating on it, but you know what you need to do? You need to say, but God's got a way for me. God's going to take care of me. So I just shifted it right towards him, and I let him take the responsibility. Now give that ball back to me here. See, God doesn't have to bounce it. Just hold on to when you get it. So now the devil throws me a thought of perversion, like, oh, you're single. Nobody loves you. You're going to have to be single the rest of your life. You, you can look at perverted stuff, whatever. And I'm like, no, God's got my back. He's got somebody for me. So I bounce that negative thought to God in the form of prayer. Let's give it up for these two gentlemen. I give God my negative thoughts in prayer. 
And then you know what? If I had a different color ball, you know what he would bounce back to me? His thoughts. And then I meditate on what the word says. I bounce the negative thought to Jesus in the form of prayer, giving him my worries, casting all my cares on him because he cares for me. And then I receive back the words that he speaks into my heart. That's how we pray in every situation, then with thanksgiving. Prayer in unknown languages. I wish I had time to explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how we believe in speaking in other tongues. But this simply is a spiritual gift that we believe in this church. We can talk about it in our life groups or one-on-one discipleship. But those of you who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're praying in the language of heaven because in heaven they're not speaking English right now and they're not going, que paso? They are speaking spiritual languages. And so when we interact with God in spiritual languages, 1 Corinthians 14 says, no one understands us, but we utter mysteries to the Lord in prayer. Can I just show you that proof text right there, just so you don't think I'm making it up? 1 Corinthians 14, 2. Aren't I so nice when I ask you if I can show you stuff? But I show it to you anyways, I know. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries to the, uh, mysteries by the Spirit. So I don't even understand the words I'm saying, but God does, and they're mysteries. The way I like to look at it is, is I'm in the, um, if you guys remember the uh, DL, DSL connections through Internet, you'd plug in, you know, you guys, guys, some of you older people remember going on to AOL, boom, boom, bing, you know, come on. I feel like that's the connection to the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. He's downloading things to me, and I'm releasing things to him that I don't even understand how to pray for. And that's why I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for us. That's a form of prayer. It's a powerful one. Most people can tell you when they've got baptized in the Holy Spirit and started praying like this, many powerful things happen in their life. There's also the prayer of faith and declaration. You remember, if all you know is that prayer of request, God, I need you, God, I need you, or the prayer of repentance, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, you're missing out on a great prayer, a great kind of prayer that's a great exercise, the prayer of faith. David said, David said in Psalm 23, he didn't say, Lord, I wish you were my shepherd today, and I wish you would really help me out because I feel lonely. No, he prayed his declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. You see the difference? He's not asking God to restore his soul. He says he does restore my soul. He's not saying God be with me in the valley of the shadow of death and help me not be afraid. He's not requesting it. He's declaring I will not be afraid for your rod and staff. They comfort me. Do you get the difference? Have you practiced that kind of prayer? Sometimes I have to do this often when I'm facing problems in the church. I get tired of saying, Lord, help us pay the bills. Lord, help us pay the bills. I just feel something rise up in my heart. The Lord will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I will not be forsaken. I will not be left alone. God will supply. Right? I get this faith rising up in me. There's then the prayer of agreement. That's when you pray with others. That's when you join with others in prayer. There's the prayer of spiritual warfare. That's when you say, devil, I'm coming after you. I'm not just being in the air. No, I'm calling you out. I'm calling out the spirit of addiction over my sister right now. In Jesus' name, you spirit of addiction be broken over her life. I call out the very thing that's attacking my family, the very thing attacking this church. I called out and I war in the heavenlies in Jesus' name. And then lastly, the prayer of persistence, the prayer of saying, I'm going to push. P-U-S-H. I'm going to pray until something happens. There are some prayer requests that I have prayed, and literally I've seen them answered the same day. There are other prayer requests I've been praying for 20 years and haven't seen them answered yet. So when am I going to stop praying? When I die or when that answer comes? 
My mother had to pray and intercede for me for six years watching me go on drugs and do all the things I did, drop out of high school, but I'm glad she pushed. She prayed until something happened. I've been praying for this nation ever since I got saved. I'm not, sta I'm not stopping because I'm praying until something happens. Amen. You need to learn how to push, to persevere in prayer. And you know what's awesome about this is that you just heard a life group is meeting on prayer, and I also have a 30-day devotional series on the life of prayer that I put in the notes. Lord, teach us how to pray is day one, day two, etc. I got all of these helpful hints for you to increase in your prayer life. So join Tuesday here at the church for the Encounter Prayer and Worship Night. Start a 30-day devotional series or just go home this week with these scriptures and read them with your family or by yourself and start applying them. How many learned something about prayer? Amen. Now let's learn about worship. Do I have anybody here from the band? Is Rachel here today? Can you get Rachel, please? Thank you. Let me show you the command to worship. Jesus said in John 4, 23 through 24, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the, uh, worship the Father in what? Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in How should you worship God in what? Spirit and truth. Jesus knew what he was doing. He repeated stuff a lot, didn't he? If there's true worshipers, are there fake worshipers? How would you know a fake worshiper? Because they don't worship in spirit, they worship in the flesh. They don't worship in truth, they worship in air. What does fleshly worship look like? Fleshly worship is worshiping the way you think you should worship instead of hearing what God wants. You may come home and God says, I want you to lay out on your floor and tell me how good I am. But you want to in your flesh to just put on some gospel music and call it worship. And God says, that's your flesh, that's not the spirit. Hello? Do you know the difference? I know the difference with my wife. See, my wife's a person, and so is God. My wife tells me how she wants to be loved day to day, and those who follow the Spirit know how to follow God's leading to love him every day. God will tell you, hey, just take a prayer walk with me and just start worshiping me. But you'll be like, no, Lord, I worshiped you at church, and God says, that's just flesh. See, you're just doing what you want. And then what is truth? Truth is according to God's word. If someone doesn't believe the true doctrines of the Bible, I don't care how spiritual, spiritual they are, if they don't have the truth, they're a fake worshiper. It doesn't matter how many times someone bows towards Mecca. That's an idol. That's not the true God. They're not spiritual. They're in error, and that's the flesh. So you have to have the Spirit guide your worship, and you do it according to the truth and the doctrines of the Bible. That's why we worship God the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. That is the truth. Amen? Let me give you another uh, definition here to think about. Definition of worship is to love and honor God with your spirit and biblical truth. Now, let's apply the seven kinds of worship. How many want to do it today? Let's stand up. Let's do it. Come on. Stretch out. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to need some room. Amen. Okay. Okay, now, the seven kinds of worship originate from the book of Psalm, which is the book of songs. The book of Psalms is the book of songs. David wrote most of them, and it was originally written in Hebrew, so we learn all about worship there. And so here are the seven main words of worship. Yada, Tehillah, Barak, Hallel, Toda, Zamar, and Shabak. If you didn't know this, now you do. And just like your spiritual exercise with prayer should be multi multifaceted, so should your worship. We don't have time to get into the Psalms. I listed them there. 
but let's do them one at a time together. Let's worship and surrender by raising our hands, as the Bible says, and telling God we give him our whole life. Come on, worship him by surrendering. The Bible says lift up holy hands to the Lord. That's why we lift up holy hands, because the Bible commands it. It's a form of surrender. We think of stick them up, put them up. That's our cultural way, but the biblical way is raising your hands and surrendering with your heart. Come on, worship. Don't Whatever you do, don't look at me in my worship. You worship. I close my eyes so I don't get distracted by you. I don't have to, but I do it because I can get distracted by people looking at me funny. So I worship by getting my, my focus off of you but on God. Come on, worship by surrendering some stuff. Who wants to surrender their life today? Who wants to surrender all the junk in the trunk? Who wants to surrender false beliefs? Who wants to surrender stress? I surrender to you, God, all these heavy burdens that I carry, all of the worries. Give me one key for this whole thing. I need one key. Stick on it. Pick it. It's your choice. Thank you. Come on, worship and surrender. One note in the same key, please. That's what I meant. One note in the same key. Worship and surrender. Now let's worship with a new song. A lot of the songs we sing here are karaoke style. Somebody else worshiped. Thank you. Somebody else worshiped and wrote a song. But you need to learn how to sing your own song to the Lord. You know we all do it. We sing to ourselves. We make up melodies. Most of the time we do it with our children. But let's do it unto the Lord. Come on, make up a melody. We're just going to stay in a real easy key. It's okay. Don't matter what it sounds like. I love you, Lord. Come on, do something in your own words. I worship you. We love you, we love you, we love you. Make up your own song. Tell Jesus how much you love him. If your arms get tired, you can put them down. It's okay. A little bit of Holy Ghost aerobics never hurt anybody, by the way. Now let's incorporate some of these together. Let's barack now and kneel down and just keep singing a new song while we surrender. Look at that. I can do three in one. I'm barocking right now. I'm kneeling before the Lord, singing a song from my heart, surrendering my life to him. I'm worshiping in spirit and in truth. I lift up my family to you, God. You are awesome, Lord. There is none like you, God. Lift up my finances, all my worries, my sickness, my health, bad days, good days. I surrender to you. I'm on my knees as a form of worship to show God that I trust him. I don't have to stand and make it happen on my own. I humble myself before a king and I say, your will be done not my will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread so you can incorporate prayers of the bible isn't that fun now we can come up from our knees now we can hallel anybody sound is that sound familiar hallel hallelujah hallel means to praise yah hallelujah hallel now let's celebrate Come on, put your hands together. Celebrate. Tell Jesus thank you. Come on, 30 seconds of celebration. Think of 10 things you're thankful for.
on now, celebrate with the excitement. Come on, tell them thank you. Just get excited. Tell your emotions to be your slave and get excited. You can make yourself excited today. We're excited about you, Jesus. We're excited to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. You know, the problem is so many of you wake up in the morning and ask yourself how you feel and then believe it. You need to wake up in the Lord in the morning and tell your body how to feel. Amen? Tell your mind how to feel. Start celebrating. I knew of one pastor that he didn't start his day until he danced for about 10 minutes in the presence of the Lord. And he just said, today's the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. That was a man in the 1900s. He had no idea what science would later prove, is that how you set your mind at the beginning of the day would be a trail throughout the rest of the day, that physical activity, getting your heart beating is a release of stress, plumping the blood through your veins of health. You know, all of that he was doing because the Bible said to celebrate. The next thing, we're going to thanks, give thanks to the Lord. Todah. See, we did that in celebration. But let's just do it again a few more moments. Just tell the Lord, thank you. Gracias, Señor. Tell him a few more times. Be specific. Lord, I thank you for health today. Thank you for the safe trip today on the highway to church. I thank you for my friends, God. I thank you for financial blessings. Worship the Lord with instruments, Zamar. And you know what's cool about that is that now we have iPods and all of these things. So if you can't play instruments, you put on those who can, right? You go to YouTube. You put on worship. We can listen to her beautiful playing. Or you can take it up as a hobby. And then lastly, shouts of joy and shouts of praise, Barak. Do you know that shouting is a release of anxiety? If you do it in stress, it can possibly increase anxiety. But if you do it in a state of mind of peace to say, I'm going to not be mad anymore and try to convince yourself through a shout, you know that shouting will shake loose those emotions many times. So don't use it as an excuse to yell at people, but you'll see as a part of cognitive therapy that they'll say, shout at yourself and say, stop it, stop worrying. And the very fact that you're hearing yourself shout will start to release release that stress. So what we're going to do is we're going to shout to God with the voice of victory, though. We're not going to shout just as a way of cognitive therapy. We're going to give out all of our stress, anything we're going on in our heart. We're going to shout out to God and say, Jesus, on the count of three, really loud. One, two, three. Jesus! Come on, shout hallelujah. One, two, three. Hallelujah! Say praise the Lord. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Now shout on your own. Isn't that exciting? More teachings on worship. You can find the link there. Think about what you learned today. Nine kinds of prayer, seven kinds of worship. Think about that. Imagine if you wanted to spend one hour with the Lord a day. You know what you could do? You could pray every kind of prayer and every kind of worship just for about two or three minutes, and you could go through a prayer workout. Let me give you a couple helpful hints in closing. Number one, learn to practice the presence of God everywhere you go. Stop making zones in your life where God can't go. Take God with you everywhere you go. Learn how to do it in a way when you're on your job, when you're going through stressful times, you know. I pray to myself when I'm watching, say I'm counseling people, and, and it's a divorce, you know, about ready to happen, and the couple's fighting. Just in my heart, I'm just like, Jesus, give me the wisdom. Right? Give me the wisdom, Lord. See, my wife's amen to me. Give me the wisdom. I need the wisdom, Lord. I need your help. Help me to hear what, what the words aren't saying. Right? 
Make time to be alone with God every day for 30 to 60 minutes. Remember, that's what Jesus did to practice the presence so he could do it 24-7. The Bible says he would get up early and he would stay up late and go by himself and pray. Also include other things in your prayer and worship time like scripture reading, memorization, soul journaling. Just start in the book of Psalms. That will help you to pray and worship, right? So memorize some of those scriptures. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Better is one day in his presence than 10,000 elsewhere. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, just sing the Psalms back to God. Memorize them and then write it down. You know, soul journal. Oh, God showed up in my life this day practice prayer and worship routines you can go through the different stages of the tabernacle or the lord's prayer i have it in our 201 discipleship book think about it like this hour of prayer there's six parts of the lord's prayer pray them 10 minutes apiece our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name spend 10 minutes honoring the lord god I just honor you today your name is awesome you're jehovah rapha my healer jehovah shikanu my righteousness jehovah jireh my provider just go through the names of god hallow his name uh, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Just pray 10 minutes for God's kingdom to come. God, bring your kingdom in the government. Bring your kingdom on the streets. Bring your kingdom to the high school. Bring your kingdom to my kids. Pray 10 minutes of the kingdom. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray for the Lord to bless you. Bless us on, bless me on my job. Bless our company. Bless our business. You know, uh, uh, forgive us those, uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, Lord, show me if there's any wicked way in my heart. You know, I'll confess it. And Lord, I forgive. I forgive. No bitterness. I'm getting better, not bitter. And then the next one, lead me not to temptation, but deliver me from evil. Ten minutes praying, Lord, is there any direction, steps that I'm doing wrong? Or help guide me to the new house, the new job, the new relationship, the new child, right? Ten minutes of God leading and guiding you. And then lastly, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Lord, I just want to praise you for the last ten minutes. There's an hour of prayer right there. There's six steps in the tabernacle, too sacrifice. The, te the, the priest would make sacrifice because you remember we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You can see this symbolically in the temple of David and also the tabernacle of, of, of Solomon. There were six steps. Sacrifice. Lord, I thank you for the blood offering. Washing at the brazen labor. Lord, let your word wash me clean. Going into the holy place. There's three things there. There's the menorah, the seven candlesticks representing the spirit of God. Lord, I want to be close to your Holy Spirit. The table of showbread, 12 loaves representing 12 tribes of Israel eating the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but everything that proceeds out the word of God, the mouth of God. So you start memorizing scripture and then the altar of incense there. Then you just start lifting up some worship to the Lord and in incense. And then you go there into the private holy place, holy of holies where the Lord is and you just bask in his presence. There's six steps, 60 minutes. The Our Father, the temple prayer. Are you listening? Or you could do this right here, the one I just taught you. Nine prayers, seven worship, that's 16. Divide it by 60. That's basically like two or three minutes for each. Isn't that fun? I thought it was. You guys look bored. You guys done praying and worshiping God? What are you going to do in heaven? God, can we do something else now? I'm kind of bored. Kind of bored, Jesus. Join together with others. Look at your neighbor and say, do you want to pray and worship with me? Come on. I'm kind of nervous. I don't know if I should ask my neighbor. Ask your neighbor. Yeah, because guess what? This life group coming up Tuesday, it's got a Facebook page. Prayer and encounter night right here, 7 o'clock. Join us. If you don't know how to pray, continue to do it with others. Amen. Here's the scripture in closing as the band and altar workers come. Thank you for your patience today. I hope you learned something. James 4.8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Isn't that amazing? Come near to God and he will come near to you. You know what I'm reminded of when I think about this is the prodigal son. 
He did a lot of stupid stuff. He starts coming back home. He's not sure if the father's going to love him. But what happens? The Bible says when the father saw him a long way off, he ran to meet him. God is wanting to run to meet you. God wants to run into your day. Run into your situation. God is longing to be close to you. That's why he died on the cross, so that the separation between humanity and divinity might be joined. He put one hand into heaven, the other into the gutter, and drew us to himself to make us holy and righteous so we could be in his presence. In closing, I remember my friend, he traveled around with a famous preacher for a while who had a tremendous ministry, powerful altar times, healings would always happen, demons cast out, etc., And my young friend said, I I just want to learn how to do what you do. And he said, well, it comes from my prayer life. I spend time with Jesus every day. That's why I know what to do when I'm here, because I know how to do it there and, and by myself. And Jesus talked about a prayer closet, getting away and praying alone, right? One of the young men from the projects I used to pastor prayed in the bathroom because that was the only place he could be. Family was on drugs. But anyways, my friend talked, talked to his mentor and said, well, if it's your prayer closet, can I join you in your prayer closet? And he said, no. He said, no, that's my private time. You can't come. He said, I'm just too vulnerable before the Lord, man. I just, I let it all hang out. And my friend just kept begging him, saying, man, I got to see how you pray, man. I want to see how you do this. I mean, what's the secret to your success? So finally, my friend, he got the uh, older pastor to let him watch him pray. And they get up in the early in the morning. He lets him into his hotel room. And all of a sudden, my friend's name was Joey Hip. The, the preacher's name was Joey, Joey Hip, and my friend's name was Wayne. And uh, Wayne said he watched Joey just close his eyes, just put his hand out, and he just said, Jesus, I want you to walk with me today. And he just started worshiping. And he just started talking to the Lord on his own, and tears started streaming down Joey's face. And within moments, tears started coming down Wayne's face. And that scripture about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit and God being in our midst, he said, became more real to him than he had ever felt to him. God was in their midst. Why? Because there was a man named Joey Hip who just said, God, I want you here. I want to draw near to you. Rachel's going to sing a song in closing, then we'll do a formal dismissal. But I want to give you a chance to do that before we leave. Rachel, please sing the song we've prepared. And then if you need prayer to get your mind off of some of the junk in your life, you just want to confess some stuff, would you come up right now and let them pray for you? Otherwise, let's worship in closing. They're going to put up the words to the song, but it's simple. Come on. Hallelujah. If you need prayer to help you to worship, let us pray for you. But if not, worship with us. Hallelujah. Let's come near to God. Let's come near to the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Now let's sing, You are worthy. Yes, you are, God. You. So worthy, God. 
Worthy means God is worth it. He's worth the effort. Oh, you're worth all the effort today to worship and to pray to God. Come on. Now let's sing, You Are Holy. Let's edify God today. Let's sing, He is risen. Let's glorify Him. He is risen. Oh, yes, He is. He is Rachel, just the voices, everyone. Let's sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, saints. One more time, it sounds so beautiful. Hallelujah. that Alex Pacheco would close us out in prayer. Alex and his family has been coming for about a couple years and he's a truck driver. He's got a lot of time on his hands. But you know what? He's a hard worker. And he's learning how to worship God while he's driving that truck. And you know what? It may not come easy because Chicago traffic is crazy. <laughs> it may make you want to pray the prayer of judgment. But really only Jesus can pray the prayer of judgment. That's why I didn't put it in there. But you know what? I just want you to share a quick testimony about how you use the time that you have on your job to pray, to worship, and then pray for all of us to have a great week incorporating what we learned today into our lives. Amen. Um, I try to wake up every morning. Well, I don't try to wake up every morning. I do wake up. And uh, I go, uh, I, I always start off with a prayer, and I ask God to just um, be with me to allow me to come home for, you know, my whole family to go about and have a great day. And um, I just try to, I, I really see that every every day when I pray, it really just fills me with his Holy Spirit. And I go about my day and I have a lot of different characters that I deal with at work. And, you know, you have people that are really lost. You have people that, you know, there's so many people out there to talk to. And um, I do have uh, chances where I do get to talk to some people and yeah, I just I just find it a, a a real blessing to start off my day like like Pastor Joe says, you know, when you start off your day and you ask God to lead you through the day, um, it, it, I I really feel like He is in me when when I'm going through work and when I smile at people and when I talk to people. So um, 
I just uh, feed off of that, and I can I continue to pray. And when I'm in my truck, I I uh, I try to listen to the Bible when I get a chance to, and that's very helpful for me. And uh, I just uh, I, I find it real helpful to just try to stay connected in prayer with the Lord. So um, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and close out in prayer, dear God. I pray today that we that we all work on uh, the sermon today when it comes to praying and worshiping father we pray that i pray that it, a piece of it stays with everybody and that we all, that we all take it serious to to go home tonight and 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 tomorrow morning and just practice our praying and our worshiping father because we do want to be drawn closer to you we, we want you to to shine through us father and i pray that today's sermon really helped helped us helped everybody the same way it helped me and uh that we continue to practice the the praying and the worshiping father uh, i pray that uh, everybody as they go home today father that they may be blessed that that they they that you shine through them father and that they have a great rest of the evening and they they show your love and affection to everybody father we thank you god and in jesus name i pray amen Amen. Give God Hallel one more time. God bless you. We'll see you at Life Groups. Otherwise, we're going to worship and pray some more. So join us. You're dismissed. Have a great week. Oh, hallelujah. God bless you as you go. If you need prayer or want to worship, hang out with us. We call it the after party.
fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. One more time. And let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. And let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. And you are good, good, and oh, and you are good, and good, and oh, you are good, good, and oh, you are good, good, and oh, let the my sail, the anchor in the waves, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days, oh, he is my song. One more time. Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sail. The anchor in the waves, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my, woo, come on. The echo of my days, oh, he is my song. You are good, good, and oh. Just the ladies. Come on, ladies. Just a few more times. Now, just the fellas. Just the boys, you are good, good. 
today, God, we've learned about you and how to please you. I pray we do it because you don't give your heart in pieces. Oh, Lord, and you don't hide yourself to tease us. And you don't hide yourself to tease us. Come on, just sing it out today as your anthem. You believe it, right? He doesn't give his heart in pieces. You're doing good, Rachel. You're doing good. Just sing it again. You don't give your heart in pieces. Yes, Lord, and you don't give your heart in pieces. No, you don't. You give it all to us, and you don't hide. Come on, saints. And you don't hide yourself to Jesus. See, this is a prayer of faith. It's worship to God because you're speaking the truth. You don't give and you don't give your heart peace. Seek after God and you will find him, saints. And you don't hide yourself. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Sing it out today. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you. One more time, Jesus. Jesus, I love you. 
before we go, and you don't hide yourself. And you don't hide yourself to Jesus. Why? Here you go. Because you are good, good, no. Amen. How many know God is good in this house? There ain't no way we're going to talk about worship without having an after party. Amen. Wasn't that wonderful? Let's give it up for Rachel. You did a great job. She's like eight months pregnant. <laughs> so close to delivery. Would you put on some more worship for the video? If you want to hang out, guys, you can. Otherwise, we'll see you at Life Groups. Thank you.